There is only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Hi, I'm Nicholas Brendan, and you're listening to the Buffy Back Issue Ben. Welcome to the Buffy Back Issue Ben, the show where we talk about all of the Buffy and Angel comics that are canon chronologically. I'm Zach. And I'm Emily. Episode 13, but we've been live on the internet for two weeks. Wow. Our numbers aren't terrible. Yay! We're growing faster than that other show I do. Yay! I'm in like this weird competition with myself, like, want to take over that other show, like those two sons of bitches, what do you think they have over us? We can do it. I'm one of them. You are one of them. And I also put a lot more effort into that other show. But you know what? We can do it. Takes more prep time. I have to like plan a week in advance. Instead of being like, we're going to do a show tonight. Okay. Well, okay. I got a pretty set schedule on this. I know what we're talking about. Yes. And I've read it. Yes. Once. And we have all twice, the material at our fingertips. Possibly thrice. Wow. Still more probably. Still definitely <laughs> like know. 17 times. Less than that. What we're talking about today is a little bit momentous. This is going to be, although not our last IDW story, this will be our very last Angel-centric IDW story. Oh, that is kind of sad. They've been good so far. Generally speaking, we've been going out of the graphic novels that IDW originally published, so we've done 1, 2, 3, 4, and we're going to jump a number and go straight into 6. Here's the thing. If you want to acknowledge that the fifth one happened, we're picking up at issue 23 here, we're skipping five issues. If you want to acknowledge what happened in between did, that's fine. It's not really going to mess with canon that much. But it creates that series of what comes after this. There's a lot of contradictions that are put into place. A lot of the stuff with the characters is really out of character. The voices are off. And Whedon wasn't directly involved with it, so I don't count it. Dark Horse has said that once they got the rights back to Angel, they're like, yeah, the IDW stuff happened, but we're basically never going to talk about it. And I think the narrative flows better if you skip issues 18 through 22. Which is what we did. Yeah, like I said, if you want to count it, that's fine. Go right ahead. But I don't consider it canon anymore. And there's going to be a point in Angel Comics in the future where a character will come back and there's a few panels where they sum up things from before. And none of the stuff from 5 and a few other graphic novels are never mentioned. Where I just kind of went, to, oh, thank God, I don't have to count those anymore. <clears throat> I think that... You were more concerned about the continuity than many, many, many people who read those panels. I appreciated them. They hey, gave me not? peace of mind. There'll be a couple of snafus in there of things that don't quite work, but overall... Overall, it's much smoother this way. Yeah. So now that I've started by belittling the work of others, let's jump into this. Sounds good. So we're reading Angel, Last Angel in Hell, Volume 6. It's a silly name. It is a silly name. Is it only three issues that we're going to talk about? Well, the way the graphic novel is, is they were talking about five issues, but oh, they broke it three up. three chapters. Yeah, but chapters two and three were two issues apiece. That makes sense, yeah. Could believe that. Yeah, I wish they had split it up differently. It makes reading it a little awkward. Yeah. So how this is kind of set up is we have three chapters that don't really speak to one another. They work very independently. And I never read them as the individual issues form. I've only read them in this form. So to me, they are three chapters alone. Our first panel is Gun Naked on the Ground. 
We're seeing some nude nanners. And it's confusing. <laughs> it's going to be nice when he goes away for a little while, because maybe I'll forget about the nanners thing. I don't think you will. I probably won't. When he comes back, I'll be like, nanners! Nanners, I missed you. But he's not even nanners anymore. But, um... Well, he's naked in public, so he's a little bit nanners. He's a little bit nanners. And Illyria's there, and she's like, I'm going to kill you now. And he's like, sounds good. <laughs> Super duper. I agree. And they're all very dramatic, and he's still naked. And it's all very odd. There's like a crowd of people around them, also odd. And then we flip the page and it says, earlier, period. And we see assorted characters coming to visit Gunn uh, while he's in his coma, even though he's aware of everyone who's come to see him. So he knows that like, Lauren's there. The Gruselug is reading him green eggs and ham. I really enjoyed that part. I said it before, I'll say it again. I enjoy everything the Gruselug does ever in this series every time he pops up the gru slug the gru whatever i did enjoy how much (laughs) gru i did enjoy how much gru is in this one i'm gonna have trouble not reading all the silly dialogue of this just i love it so but he's just reading green eggs and ham to gun he's like ha the scrawny one sophisticated pellet is proving most frustrating for his companion but proving most entertaining to me everything gru does i want more of it everything gru does is great we find out that George has visited Gunn, and George can communicate with him. Being a telepathic floating fish and all. It's very helpful. And he's the one who can actually tell that Gunn is still coherent inside his own head. So for those who don't know, if you're just starting now, hey, how's it going? Welcome. Uh, this is a weird point to jump in. Sorry about that. I wouldn't recommend it. Go back six episodes. Go back to whatever one I, is titled LA Goes to Hell. Start there. Sounds good. But Gunn was recently an evil vampire, and then the timeline got all wonky, and now he's not an evil vampire. He's in a coma, but he remembers everything he did when he was nanners and evil. He's also a human again. That too. Important plot detail. Mm -hmm. And we find out that there have been many other demons who have also visited Gunn, but that Illyria has been watching from the next building over and killing all of them for Gunn. Which we saw at the end of After the Fall, but she's not wearing her, like, cool dueling bandoliers now. Nah, she's just straight up Illyria. So just, you know, tight leather outfit, lots of spears. Pretty much. Where does she keep the spears? I don't know, leaning up against a building beside her. Alright. She has a perch. So we find that Illyria is fighting against a T-Rex, as one does. The T-Rex from the battle that Angel had when he challenged all the lords. The T-Rex fought the dragon. Exactly. And Illyria fought the dragon, and now it's time for a T-Rex versus Illyria battle. And it's going to be great. Except we don't see any of it, and I'm so disappointed about that. I know, I was really sad about that too, because then we cut away to Nan. such a small child. I'm like, dinosaurs are neat. They are, though. Monsters walked the earth. Yeah. You really like monsters in pretty much any form. I like dinosaurs. You also like monkeys. I do like monkeys. The bigger, the better. Well, I'm... More in the 15 to 25 range is kind of where I'm at my peak. Yeah. Like King Kong. Yeah, I know. Not like the real monkeys. I know what I meant. I'm just explaining it to the rest of the world. I know that you know what you like. (laughs) (laughs) And we see a character we haven't seen in a little bit. Non. Yeah. No, not the Superman villain. I was okay with her not being there, but she came back. It's a good... Way to get Gun out of his current predicament. It did work. So she's basically like, 
you think that all I can do is suck powers, but that's not true. I can also give powers. And so she gives him a healing power. Well, for those who don't remember Nan, she was in the Spike after the Fall miniseries where she fought Spike in Illyria and was killed. Yeah, she was the one that could suck everybody's powers out of them. She could suck all of the energy out of humans to power herself up, but apparently she can also heal people when... So I guess she's sucks the energy out of other people to super self up to be able to heal a gun who's like missing an eye and in a coma and all kinds of banged up. And so just like that, gun is healed totally. And he's not happy about it. And he's awake. And oh. he's very much not happy about it. So he jumps at Nan and throws her out a window. Well he goes with her. Yes. He just tackles her out a window. Yeah. Um and in that process his hospital gown gets shredded. And so there's a panel where Gren just takes off his hospital gown. It's very confusing. Why is he naked? He's very in shape. It's fine. Okay. Good to know. Everyone recent, like in the last couple of months, went to hell. A bunch of them saw some weird things. Random naked man in the street. I guess so, yeah. To be fair. You no. Know, Given the other things Worst that they things have seen, happened. Quite literally. It's like, oh, there's a fit nude man. Fighting a demon. But there's also a like, dinosaur I, in the same street. Like, so yeah, I don't think that he would be as as uh, noticeable. Yeah, if you had to give me the option of like watch a Tyrannosaurus fight or hey, there's a naked guy. I'm looking at the Tyrannosaurus fight. Yeah. And occasionally glancing at the naked man trying to figure out what's going on there. Like he just jumped out of that building. <laughs> Why is he naked? Hospital gowns aren't flattering to anyone. Mm-mm. But Illyria's beat up the T-Rex who is very sad about it. Yeah, and her name is, what is it, Kenny. Aww. Something that I really like here, which I think this is the first time I've picked up on it, so I'm dumb. Nan is going to go up against Deliria, so she's going to start sucking all of the life force out of humans around her. So instead of punching Gun through the stomach like she did Jeremy, she tosses Gun aside and throws Nan into the air so she can't hurt anyone. Yeah, she has learned from her previous I'm assuming this is... That can't be an accident. That is a good callback. That is showing some good character growth. Yeah, I mean, it's the same situation that Illyria has been placed in, and this time she actually understands more or less what Fred would do in that situation. Because last time she was freaking out, she's like, tell me I did the right thing after she killed the source of Nan's power. Right, which was one way of ending Nan's power. Yeah, it was effective. It was. But also... Throwing her 80 feet in the air, just as effective. Yeah, totally. And slightly more cinematic. Ironic, given that this is a comic. So we go back to the beginning of the book. Gun's like, hey, thanks for the assist. Time to die, I guess. Yeah, because he wants Illyria to be able to have closure. Also, unstated, he definitely wants closure. <laughs> and by closure... He means death. Yeah. So we see this panel where Illyria's fist is just coming at Gun's face. And then the next page... Gun goes alive again. He's very disappointed about it. He is. And he's also clothed, which is a positive for everybody. Yeah, he's back in his hospital room. He has clothes on. Illyria just punched him into unconsciousness. Yeah. And she's written all over the wall in what it looks like is blood with a list of ways that she could kill Gun if she needs to. Dismembering. Disemboweling. Decapitate. Beat to a pulp. Choking slowly. Crushing skull. Skin alive. Throat cutting. Chop into. Cook every bone. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Stomp on his head. I think it says crack every bone. I prefer cook every bone. <laughs> okay, well, that would work too. 
Ripping is just one of the words. <laughs> one of them might be moist ripping? Yeah. Moist ripping. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case... Delirio is just like, yeah, I've been making a list of all the ways I could kill you, and I might if you piss me off. Right, and basically she's saying that as much as she would like to kill Gun because of all of the dumb things that he's done, she can tell that that's not what Fred would have done. And now that her memories have been flooded by Wes and Spike, and she says essentially like they worshipped her, and she didn't even have to strike fear into their heart. Yeah, and she's saying that while Fred is not a part of her, that it would be too painful to know what Fred would have wanted her to do and then to do something else. Yeah, this face that she has carries a responsibility. Yeah, and there's a certain level of guilt that she has to go with it that is new to her. And Gunn wants to die, and Illyria's like, hey, cool, if you want to die, you just give the word and it'll be all right for me to murder your ass. Illyria doesn't talk like that. No, thank goodness. It'd be just weird. It'd be very disarming if she did. Yeah, disorienting even. <laughs> what do you... No, don't... Can you go back to being a demon again? Yeah. But Gunn decides not to die, and we see that he has gone back to Mosaic. Mosaic! Good. He's gone back to Mosaic. All right, so there he is at Mosaic. Yep, he's gone back to Mosaic, and he and George are taking a tour of the facility with one of the, I don't know, staff members, I guess? And... They keep talking about this unnamed she, that how they're going to control her powers and she won't kill everyone in the building, even though she is quite dangerous. And, and you know, the bait you and know switch it's is not Illyria. Yeah, you're but, supposed to think it is, but. But still, like, they don't come out and tell you until. Um, we, we go and find Anna. Anna, you may remember from being the large chested demon who told Spike to go to the showers with her, who mutes others' powers. Right, and so they're saying, we'll make Anna her roommate so that everything will be fine. And in your head, you're thinking, well, it won't matter if Anna is Illyria's roommate, but Anna's not Illyria's roommate, she's Non's roommate. To be honest, I kind of forgot that Non existed once we got to this point. I was <laughs> like, she oh, right. Thrown far away. Yeah. But Non's in a straight jacket, and for another call back to Spike Shadow Puppets, she has a dicky Duck doll. Yeah, isn't there another one later on in this? Yes. Okay. And so, basically, they leave Non at Mosaic to try and... You said it up times, and now it's in my head. Uh, they leave Non at Mosaic to try and get some help for her. And Illyria and Gunn take off. And Illyria's like, I want to drive. And Gunn's like, uh, okay. Seems like a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. But whatever. They get in the car, and Illyria's like, so I'm getting in touch with my human side? And he's like, yep. Me too. Let's go get in touch with our human sides. And then, if you're reading this on the page, I just need you to take your thumb and cover the bottom right corner. Done. Um, because it says, to be continued in Angel Still Human, August 2009. Uh, this story works better with the promise that these two could heal and be better than they are. What doesn't work as well is reading that miniseries. And since it will never be directly referenced again, I say not canon. Sounds good to me. You're really much better off. And the bummer, the guy who wrote it, I like his work as a writer. He's over at DC now, but that miniseries doesn't work on a lot of fronts. And I don't feel the need to tear something down. I would just rather... Skip it. 
Yeah, and just leave the story on a note of hope. Yep. So thus we move on to chapter two. And we have totally abandoned Gun and Illyria completely. And we are in what looks like an insane asylum or some facility. And it says Los Angeles just before the fall. So we're in a totally different place in a totally, totally different time. I didn't love that part about this. I'm fine with it. It's going to... I didn't love it just because we... If that had been before the gun story, it would have made more sense in my brain. But to pick up with the gun story where we left off in the last graphic novel and then to jump back before that, I don't It just... It didn't quite... I didn't like it as much. It was a little too jarring for me. Well, the series... This graphic novel overall is fine. There's going to be a lot of highlights that I like in it. You can... Feel the series trying to find its footing again. Like after the fall, there was a plan, there was a purpose, there was intent behind it. This is more episodic. Like, like, ah, uh, what do we do now? Yeah, it There's, was very much that moment of you could feel the series floundering a little bit. We'd done something super cool, and it was long standing, and now it almost feels like they're. What are we gonna do? They're taking a bit of a break with some lighter stories. But it's also a little jarring after taking that, like, intense narrative that we've been in. Yeah, it's kind of like in the news when the newscasters go, and on a lighter note. Yeah. That's the feeling that (laughs) we get here. This is even a lighter story. No, but it's just kind of a less epic note. So we have a co-writer on this one, but let's reveal that in a minute. I don't know why I'm burying the lead, but I am. I don't either. So we have these two doctors, and they're talking about this case that they have that's just impossible. And it's not even worth it. And they bring it to the head doctor and they're like, yeah, we think you should move this patient somewhere. There's nothing that we can do to help her. They've been talking. This is a patient who's having delusions of being a vampire who's been around for 150 years. And most of that, she had a torrid affair. I do love Drew. I'm just. Okay. So we're just going to say who it is. It's Drew. Drew's back, baby. Drew. She's my favorite. And Drew is back. This is the first time we've seen Drew Silla since season five of Buffy. She's been in flashbacks, but this is the first, like... Current Drew story. Yeah, this is, like, the and first I thing since Drew. 2001. Yeah. It's been a good long while. Last we saw her, she went back to Sunnydale to go and try and get Spike to come with her after Angel burned her and Darla, but we haven't seen her since then. No, and I love Drew, so I was super, super excited. And the exciting thing about this is we have a co-writer on this, which is... True. Well, well, the actress who plays her. Juliet Landau. Yeah. I guess Brian Lynch reached out to her on her MySpace account. It was like, hey. That sounds super dated. It does. It's really dated. I think she did a great job in it. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know where one begins and one ends, but the voice is very good. Yeah. And definitely the same kind of how Drew, in all of her weirdness, there was always that thread of truth running through and that the same kind of like, you can find Drusilla's truth within her kind of weird delusions. And the thing that, um, they have a flashback of the police find Drew. They never answer this and it never goes anywhere. And I don't like it. No, Unfortunately, I there are parts of this that I don't something work happen for me. With it. Yeah. yeah. They say like, we found her. She was covered in cut wounds. It looks like they might be from a sword. They might be self-inflicted and they never, go on to explain what it was and like drusilla always liked pain but i never associated it with something like cutting pain and she no, is like it's definitely she was never a self-harm kind of character it was more just yeah, she 
I don't so, know. So I don't know whether... And this is never followed up on. She'd run afoul of somebody else or... Yeah, so I don't... I don't know. The implications of this feel weird to me. Me too. And I don't like them. But she let the police take her, which is also... I mean, I could see Drew doing that because Drew... Drew does Drew's own thing. So if she wanted to be taken by the police, she would let them, but I don't know. Yeah. She does have a chest wound that they say is the most substantial one. She she was probably attacked, but it's not clear enough for me to feel comfortable with the story. She's like, she was probably cutting herself. Yeah. And I can also understand why the doctors would think that, but it just felt weird that the doctors put that out there and then the character never does anything to contradict it. No. So we see that Drusilla is in a cell by herself and she's been crying Aww, and freaking Drew. out. It's and, a padded cell, too. And the reason is, is you know, Drew has premonitions. And Drew knows what's going to happen. She has visions and she knows that Los Angeles is going to go to hell. Yep. So Drew is freaking out for everybody. Yeah. And they're like, go clean yourself up, take a shower. So she goes into the shower, gets nice and made up, and kills all the other women in the bathroom and eats them. Yeah. I mean, she was probably really hungry. Yeah, probably. If they're like, she's been there for a while, and they're like, you're not a vampire. Yeah, here's some people food. So we see that there's a guard who stays behind who calls in to an unknown person who says, like, hey, if you want to keep this under wraps, you need to send in the cleanup crew. Yeah. And just, I don't feel like, because it's going to be a few episodes before we get back to it. It's Wolfram and Hart. Wolfram and Hart is trying to manipulate her. Makes sense. That works for me. And if we're in the world of Angel, we got a pretty negative force. This is still at the point when Wolfram and Hart is still around. Yeah. They have a doctor having a session with Drew, and she tries to seduce the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> because it's Drusilla. Oh my gosh, Drew. And But she has, She's... like, I don't know. I love the art in here. This is, again, done by Franco Uru, and he just draws these very fluid but almost kind of exaggerated movements with her that just work so well with the character. You can just see Drew doing all of this. Yeah, like, the she and has it looks very... something in her head, and her head is just kind of always swaying back and forth, and she's moving very elegantly. It's very perfect for how the character would move. Yeah, it's a very dynamic way that he draws her, which works very well. <laughs> she's just straddling him. He's like, this is uh, not appropriate. <laughs> I love her. I do, too. She's like, that's why it's so much fun. I do that's like my Drew, Drew voice. That's a terrible voice. That's a choice that you made there. I made a choice as an actor. Yes, you did. And so the doctor is, you can just see the sweat beating up on his brow and he's like, uh, well, I have a gift for you. And so she says, I like presents and treats. <laughs> I'm so with she... Drew. I like presents and treats too. And he gave her paper to color on if she wants to in case words are too hard. And markers. You also might like that gift. I would like that gift. And so they're about to take Drew back to her room and she goes, no, I want her to take me. And she points to one of the doctors that we saw at the very beginning who was like, this case is impossible. She's useless. She is a colossal waste of time. Yes, is what the, she actually says. So this doctor's like, uh, okay, I'll take you. <laughs> and Drew just sneaks up behind her. And she goes, you're a colossal waste of time. And... Oh, let's go with the term that you said you liked from so many episodes ago. She goes to Vampire Lemon Face. Yes. And just puts her finger to her mouth. Shh. It's so Drusilla. This art is so perfect. Everything about it is very Drew. And then she and, uh, rips say, the doctor's head back and eats her. We should also say, I love the um, the colors in this book. It's all 
very muted and very white and it just works so perfectly with like um Drusilla's skin tone and just this very sterile kind of environment. So And all... Drew is really the only color on the page, like her clothes and her lips. Yeah, and all that stands out, then all the blood stands out really well. It's a very white and sterile area which just amplifies everything about Drusilla that makes her colorful and makes her stand out. Mm-hmm. So then Drew steals the doctor's dress. Makes sense. Uh, puts it on, and then just starts to dance around while killing everybody in sight. There's almost a ballet to it. The way yeah, she, it's, very it's a very acrobatic. It's a very dance-oriented murder spree. Yeah. And everyone dies. And then she uses their blood to write a message on the walls. It says, little fingers, little hands. So, Good for Drew. So Drew. Good for Drew. And then we flash back to London, 1860. And we can see when Drew is human and when she was still sane, we can see Angel and Darla killing her family and all these people. And the way that Drusilla is killing these individuals and placing their bodies is mirroring that torment that she suffered when she was alive. Yeah. Which is super messed up. It is, but also It's really super good. Drew. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. And we even get a word-for-word callback to flashback of Angel and Darla having sex in front of her where she's saying, Snake in the woodshed. Which is, on a metaphor scale, obvious. And so Drew starts to talk to all the dead bodies, and she picks up somebody's head, and she starts to talk to it. And she goes, this place looks really lovely, nothing like a woman's touch, don't you agree? She has to talk to this <laughs> head. A head that's been ripped off of its body, like she is And then she starts frowning at it, not because it's decapitated, but then she goes, hmm, no playmates. Because <laughs> no one will talk to her. Which, you know what, Drew, I kind of understand. It's when I get left home alone too long and I'm like, hmm, no playmates. So instead she takes out her coloring book and her markers and she just starts to draw pictures. And they're all pictures that correspond to Angel After the Fall while they were still in hell. Yeah, and a lot of the panels mirror panels that we saw. Some of them have a little more of artistic liberty, but a lot of it is stuff we've seen before. The dragon's there. Yep, the splash page of Angel Riding the Dragon is there. Um, having Angel's spine and legs broken while Wes approaches him is there. Gun-killing Connor. Angel punching out uh, one of Gun's vampires. Spike in his harem. Mm-hmm. Who all seem much taller than they did. There was that one super tall one, but now they're all super tall. Yeah, Illyria. In Illyria form. And so there's a couple of doctors who are still left alive. And so Drew tries to bring her pictures to them and be like, this is what's going to happen. And they just think that she's totally insane. You should leave. Yeah, so she tells them to leave. They don't leave because they think she's crazy. And she goes in this weird trance and just starts to flash back to what was happening. Which we, we get a scene we've never seen before. It's um, Drusilla's in a bath. It looks like Angel has been feeding on her. We can see that there's a bite mark on her neck. It's unclear if he's turned her or not. But she has this pendant that she's been wearing. Angel grabs it and throws it in the fire, and Drusilla draws what I assume is the last of her humanity burning away in this pendant. Yeah, and you just see a drawing of Darla and Angel grabbing towards her, her, and that's the last pre-Drew, pre-vampire Drew memory that she has. And then she draws an uprising in this facility that she's in. Mm -hmm. And then once you know it, there's an uprising a second later. Yep. Very and timely. then she goes, I told you to run. She's not very good with the advance notice. 
No, not so great. Although she did try with the rest of them, and nobody believed her anyway. And the doctors die, and a bunch of the inmates attack Drew, and then she wakes up back in London in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And she goes home. She goes, maybe this isn't too bad. And the sun is out. She's in the sun again. And this is just clearly, Drusilla has been sent to hell, and this is, in her mind, her way to cope with it is she is human again, and she's home. Mm-hmm. And she has a doll. It's Miss Edith. It is Miss Edith. And Miss Edith has the same bright blue eyes that Drew has. Yeah. And we'll come back to Drusilla and not terribly long. Drew is a great character. And when this came out, it was a wonderful treat that she was back. And really the next time she comes back is also a really great opportunity to get further into the character. But then she comes back again. And then she comes back again. And something that felt extraordinary starts to get diminished. Yeah. Well, because that was always the fun of Drew. So much of what I loved about her is that she was... <laughs> just pop in and out. She was a treat. Yeah. You're just like, here I am. You'd get I'm going to be crazy and leave. And she was charming and she was lovely. And it never got irritating because she was just Drew. And she was there for just a little bit. And it was like a little tease and then she'd be gone. And the story would continue as normal because you can't actually build a whole world around Drew. Like, she's not coherent enough for that. So it was so nice to have her just little bits in there, but now she's... Yeah, and at this point, she's interacted with everyone so much beyond this. The fact that no one has killed her is astonishing. And not that I want the character to die, but just, you know, law of averages, like the number of vampires these people kill. Totally. And Drew's... Not that I want the character to get away, I just want her to be used a little more sparingly than she has been in recent years. Yeah, like she was in the TV show. Yeah. And one unfortunate thing that I'll bring up, uh, one, Dark Horse got the rights back to Angel, and I have no idea where Drusilla's rights were originally, but there had been solicitations for a five-issue Drusilla miniseries that Juliet Landau was going to do, and then it just never happened, and I've never seen anything solid on why that kind of fell apart. I mean, orders were put in for the book, so I have no idea what happened there. That's weird. But I, I very much trust her as a writer for Drusilla. Oh, yeah. I think it'd be awesome if that actually came to fruition. That was years ago. But mm. I have no idea. I don't know why it didn't happen, but it never did, unfortunately. Hmm. I know I just said, like, eh, maybe a little less Drew. But if you're like, Juliet Landau's doing Drusilla, but like, more Drew. Bring her back. Yeah, well, it's all the difference of how well do you really know the characters. So she knows Drew so well that that she's going to make something feel very special no matter what it is versus just being like and here's this character again she's interesting so we're gonna use her again and then we go into our last two-part story that is the like i said the final angel-centric story on the idw side that we're going to talk about we open up and there is a devil standing over los angeles and someone in the foreground going like ah everything's gone to hell i like to think that he's doing the wilhelm scream that scream you hear in like every movie where it's like ah Whenever someone gets thrown. Oh, yeah. You looked at me. It's because I've never heard it called anything. Yeah, it's the Wilhelm scream. Well, there you go. I think there are two or three different ones, but yes. Two. I'd say there are two. I'm sure someone's going to um actually me. People love to um actually me. Do they really? Oh, yeah. Weird. I'm going off the cuff here. You are. Well, and... People just love... The internet loves to um actually. Yes. In general. But we're back in hell. What happened? I don't know. And we cut away to this guy who's saying, this is it. 
And then he starts talking and... Well, who is it? This is Jorge Garcia from Lost fame. This is Hurley. Hurley is suddenly in hell. We have a lot of people whose likenesses are used, but I don't know if they were close enough to have to pay them anything. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, Hurley is suddenly in hell. And he has a minigun. But we see him and Hurley is gun? Yeah, we just see this this back to us. I should probably call him the actor. Jorge Garcia is gun? We just see this back to us and it says, back off gun. And the first time I read this, I looked around and I thought, there is no gun on this page. And then we see that Angel is there, but it's Nicolas Cage. It is Nicolas Cage, dressed exactly like Angel. And Nick Cage says that if anyone's going to risk their lives, it's going to be him. And he tells his faithful ally, George, to stay behind. George is a dog now. I know. I liked that. So as Nicolas Cage Angel is walking away from George to go fight the devil... We hear the cadence of Spike. Except Spike is being played by Cameron Diaz. Oh, is that Cameron Diaz? I think that's who that's supposed to be. I could see it. It's a lovely blonde actress. Who I think is supposed to be Cameron Diaz. I could totally see that. Like, 90% positive. But for legal reasons, we won't say that she is. We'll just call her a blonde actress. Yep. And so... Diaz features. She is dressed exactly like Spike. And she's saying, if Angel's gonna die, Angel's gonna die happy. And Angel and Spike make out. Yep. And Gun turns into the comic relief. I'm just gonna call him Hurley. Hurley goes, whoa, is it hot in hell or is it just them? It's like too much. (laughs) Oh. And then we cut to real Angel, who's just staring in disbelief at this trailer. Who, Who is sad, sad Angel. Angel is at San Diego Sci-Fi Fest, because we can't call it Comic-Con for copyright reasons. And we can't call a lot of things what they are for copyright reasons, but here we are at Sci-Fi Fest. Mm -hmm. So what happened is because all of Los Angeles went to hell and like this crazy thing happened, and as Angel puts it, like every third person in LA is a screenwriter, a movie gets made about their time in hell called The Last Angel in Hell. And basically every detail has changed except for the fact that Los Angeles went to hell. Yeah, and Angel mentions that, like, you know, a lot of people are in denial about what happened or they're repressing it. But he leaves. And Brian Lynch apparently has a big chip on his shoulder regarding canon. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was very snarky. (laughs) Because we already mentioned official canon earlier on with Spike's shadow puppets. But there's a QA and a with the director who just showed this tease for the movie. And one of the questions asked, and this one guy in the audience goes, there is a four-issue prequel comic series coming out before the movie is released. Are we believe this shall be considered canon, or is it a fan fiction toss-off? I've lost much sleep over this. I know. I felt so bad for him when I read this. I, I feel like, like a lot of people have given him flack, or at least back in the day, about what counts as canon and what doesn't. I know. The poor guy. He was just trying to do his best. And you know what? Everything that he wrote under the Angel banner I've counted as canon, and this is the show to determine that. So there you go. I give you... Yes, it does count as canon. I give you the stamp of official canon. And Angel leaves, and he goes, and he finds the Grusalug, who's hanging out with Kate, who has no dialogue. Um, I just have to bring up the Kate thing, because, look, I said we're skipping volume five, Kate comes back. But a bunch of time has passed, and she hung out with Connor before, so you can just assume that they reconnected. Yeah, I... Just roll with it. If she doesn't... 
She has zero part in this. Sh- she's in two panels, doesn't say anything, just roll with it. Ugh. We know that Kate is back in one form or another, but since she saw Connor before, I'm going to say that that's our connection point. And we know that months have... Enough time has passed that there's been a whole movie put into production, so hey, fair chance that they've reconnected since then, considering Angel is now a celebrity and Kate has been working underground to help people. Yeah, and so they determine that the flaming sword is missing, and so Connor helpfully goes on the internet well, and figures out that there's a flaming sword being sold at an auction at the San Diego Sci-Fi Convention. The flaming sword that Gunn used to decapitate Angel. So a famous flaming sword. And it turns out Spike is there too, because he also can't believe that this movie is being made. And he's a little upset that he's being played by an attractive woman. But if he were to be a lady, he would be an attractive one. And then we hear a voice from the past, and it's Jeremy's back. He's dressed like a wizard. Jim from The Office. Yeah, but in this he's called Jeremy. Or Spike calls him Jerry. Yeah, and he's a little ridiculous as a wizard. He's part of the Q&A, and he's just like, hey, I was there. I hung out with Spike. He's not a lady. And all of these facts that you've put down are wrong. And so poor Jeremy gets thrown out of the convention, is the short answer. And he sees Spike, who he hasn't seen since Illyria killed him. And then he invites him to his wedding. Isn't that precious? To Pam, because we saw Pam in the very end of it. I remember. It was precious. And he's hugging Spike. He's very Andrew in this. Yeah, he's just very excited to see him. And he's shaking Angel's hand, and he keeps on, like, nagging Spike. He's like, oh, I just met him. He knows my name. Weird, huh? And I love the Grooselug, and I I thought of you for this. Did you? Yep, so uh, Grooselug calls Angel, because we know that this flaming sword is here somewhere. Angel, I have planted a flag at the beginning of the line to enter the auction room. A few similarly dressed warriors tried to invoke something called cutsies, but I held my ground. I have waited in many lines for many comic things. Not that many. I have waited for many hours in many lines. <laughs> that, that's a little more accurate. And we cut to the auction house, and I'm not quite sure where copyright stands on all of these items, because in said auction house, there's a bunch of stuff. There's Batman's utility belt. There's He-Man's sword. It's a proton pack from Ghostbusters. There's... The hoverboard from Back to the Future 2. There's the Matrix from the animated Transformers movie. The Green Lantern's ring and charger. A key from potentially lock and key, I'm not sure. And a portrait of Brendan Fraser? Unclear. But also there is the flaming sword. Oh yeah, and that too. The thing that we're actually here for. Mm-hmm. Not the other references. And the Grooselug also notice a bunch of demons who are there to get the sword to kill Angel. Who are... Dressed up as furries in big teddy bear costumes. Yeah, they kind of look like Care Bears. They're trying to like be innocuous by being in these costumes, but they're definitely just a bunch of red-skinned demons in teddy bear costumes. Yeah, it's a little odd, but they do look like Care Bears. They are ridiculous. So Angel wants to get closer to it. He doesn't know how to do it without being noticed. So, so Jeremy... Comes to the rescue, and he says that there are some guys who are handing out free costumes so that everybody can be cool and costumed during this convention and he comes up with a angel and spike costume from the last angel in hell movie so the lady spike it's really precious and so spike dresses up like angel angel dresses up like spike and jeremy dresses up like a ninja good for jeremy but then we see a nice call back to buffy season two yeah there's these guys who have 
a Janus statue. This statue that has two faces on it that we saw back in the Halloween episode in the second season of Buffy where they all turned into their Halloween costumes. Dun, dun, dun. And we're at a con. Yeah. God, if you go to a con now, take a drink every time you see a Negan or a Harley. You'll be dead in five minutes. So don't actually do that. Just think about it. Take ten drinks if you see a Negan-Harley mashup. Those are out there, too. I saw some of those. Just don't actually take any drinks. We don't want to condone people dying. So Angel and Spike and the Grusalug all start fighting the demonous Care Bears. Because they all want the flaming sword. They all just want to... The Care Bears want to kill Angel, and Angel just wants the sword so that they can't kill him. With said sword. And one of the demons rips the Lady Spike mask off of Angel, which was probably for the benefit of this story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mind you that Spike still has his Angel mask on. And all of a sudden, everyone changes. And so there are superheroes flying around everywhere. Some of them are kind of obvious references or mashups of different things. And everybody, but for copyright reasons, they're not those things. And everybody becomes what they have dressed up like. Which, of course, <laughs> leaves Spike as Angel. Which is pretty hilarious. Yep. So he doesn't th- really do the brooding in his mind. He does it out loud, which is great. <laughs> he does. And that ends that issue, which is, you know, you can actually tell that's the end of an issue, which is nice, because the way this book is laid out, it's not a, the Drusilla story. It's not... Super clear clear, when the issue break is. We open up with an internal monologue of one of the individuals at the con who has turned into a hero. And my god, it's like the Amalgam universe. You told me about that recently. Oh my god, because Amalgam is the dregs of the 90s. What Amalgam was, is it was Marvel and DC made an imprint together where they would mash up two of their heroes. Which usually just meant that those heroes would have two origins. So this one guy's like... Last son, jettisoned to Earth from a dying planet, found by billionaires, raised like I was one of their own. But they were shot and killed. And my god, it's like reading Dark Claw. If you don't know Dark Claw, look it up. It's a Wolverine-Batman mashup, and it's the worst. <clears throat> but a hero rises above, and it's Spike as Angel. And what's really coming out here is Spike's impression of Angel, which is the worst. <laughs> And the funniest part is that Angel is still Angel there. So he's had his mask ripped off his face, which keeps him as Angel instead of turning him into Spike. So he's just listening to this like super exaggerated, super terrible like version of Spike. And we see Spike's inner monologue, and then it cuts to Angel's inner monologue, and it's not that different. They're pretty close. Spike's like, I was once an evil vampire. I'm good now. Not great, mind you. Good. Comparatively to Angel, who's like, I used to be a bad vampire. Now I'm good. I know, they are very funny, but the funniest part is, like, Spike is very dramatic, and he's like, I am Angel. And then there's Angel who's lying on the ground in the corner going, no, you're not, stop it. <laughs> one of my favorite, it's very early on, one of my favorite moments is Spike is fighting a bunch of the convention goers, and he starts crying because he realized that he could fight while moping at the same time. It would save time. It's so ridiculous. Uh, Jeremy has become a kung fu master. Helpful. Yep. Angel finds someone who's going to explode, and he throws him into the auction room to blow things up. Hopefully His name blowing was Explodo. Up, yep. Hopefully blowing up whatever caused this particular spell, but nothing happens. And Angel 
dives away epically from the exploding room, lying on the ground. And Spike runs over to him. What are you doing down here? The fight isn't over. The fight is never over. That exploding man died in vain. Now we have to cry over him and then stand on a rooftop. And then we have to save the day at the zero hour. Don't make me whine all over you. It's it's pretty great. Mostly because you can imagine Angel doing literally every piece of that. All of those things. And Angel's like, we need to keep going. And as Gru names him shortly, Spangle. Precious. Spangle goes, and mourn Explodo. He was a valuable part of the team. I'd say he was a friend, but friendship is a dance this vampire must sit out. Oh and God. it just goes on and on like that. It's pretty great. And I love, too, that the Grusalug has not been affected either because he just dresses like the Grusalug all the time. So he's just wearing animal skins. I love that he gave them a couple name. I love everything about this. Yeah. And this other demon just rolls up. And he's the demon who set this emotion, apparently. And he's kind of a jerk. He is. He's like, I came to this convention to look for the vampire. Like, I am eternal. And he starts killing people. We cut back to... Angel and Spangle, who we get a little bit of an IDW in joke. Some zombies come out because, like, if you dressed like a zombie, you got some free swag or something. And they mentioned, like, zombies versus vampires versus Kung Fu Master. At the time, IDW, I think it was Chris Rael, was putting out a book. It was like robots versus zombies. And they kept on doing, like, additional series, would be like another versus, or they'd switch one of those things out. So this is a little bit of an IDW in joke. Of the time. I haven't read those books in years. I don't remember what they were exactly. Sorry. I mean, zombies versus vampires actually seems like a kind of interesting concept. One likes to eat brains. The other likes to eat blood. But they're both going for the people. Can they share a meal? I don't know. Thoughts. And so we have these aliens who (laughs) have been turned into the silliest looking aliens possible. And they surround our little band of merry followers and they're like, we will attack you. Take us to your leader. And Spangle, just because they're scared. I see it in their bulbous eyes. They need my help. And not just them. Everyone needs my help. Meanwhile, he's squeezing <laughs> the like bulbous pink face of this, of this alien. I know how you feel, new little friend. So confused, so distraught, maybe a little horny. We've all been there. I'm there now. <laughs> he freaks out, alert, alert. <laughs> but deep down, you are good. There is good in everyone. Every thorn has its rose. Oh my gosh. You can re- rehabilitate yourself. The world needs more anti-heroes. You can even join our team eventually. Seriously, we take everyone. Yep. <laughs> I'll stop with the Spangle dialogue. It's just, I think it's so funny. Um, I really liked that. So Gru is also there with Spangle fighting. And the aliens go, behold, we are the aliens from the planet Scrum. And Gru just goes, not a planet. (laughs) (laughs) And then they say something else. He goes, not at all a thing. (laughs) I like that he got really upset with the people making up their own fake things. So we're still looking for the source of this whole spell because clearly a spell has been cast on everybody. And Angel runs into... This giant uh, naked tentacle demon who's the, actually a demon who showed up outside. Yeah, this eternal demon. And Angel just stabs him with a pen. He's like, yeah, don't have time for your crap. Yeah, so this demon's like, I came to fight the demon. I came I, I came to fight the vampire, the vampire Spike. And Angel's like, cool, gonna stab you with a pen. And he's like, I'm all done with that. And Spike gets, I'm sorry, Spangle gets over the loudspeaker. 
and does a rousing speech of how everyone needs to be a hero. And then for the guy running the show, he's like, also, don't bring in outside food and please purchase from a licensed kiosk. Oh, that's precious. An angel finds a little boy who's dressed in Jeremy's wizard costume and gets the source of all of this, which is that two-faced statue and breaks it. Yep. And everything is reversed and the Grusula gets the flaming sword. Yep. And basically everything is resolved. Angel and Spike leave the convention and they kind of reflect on that, you know, they're similar but different, which we've certainly never done in this series. Mm-mm. Or all the time. I know. It it was very funny putting them putting Spike into Angel's mind, kind of. Rather putting Angel's mind into Spike. Yeah. But we didn't need to be quite so on the nose at the very end with the dialogue. We could have just Yeah, they've done it plenty before. They have. So if you're following along in the graphic novels, uh, there is one more comic in here, but we're going to skip it. So what it is, it's the last Angel in Hell movie adaptation in comic book form. It's a comic book adaptation of a movie that exists within a comic based on a TV show. It's very convoluted, and it's it's basically the long version of the couple pages we had before with Nicolas Cage. So when we were talking about this earlier, the example I gave to you is about 10 years ago, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, they did Grindhouse. You went to go see it in theaters. You got your double feature with Planet Terror and that not very good Tarantino movie, except for like the last 20 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> Name of movie. But in the middle, they had all of these trailers that were really funny. One of them, like all these fake movie trailers for movies that were never going to happen weren't a thing. And one of them was for Machete, starring Danny Trejo. And it was really funny. It was really good. It was one of those things like, oh, wouldn't that be really entertaining if that was like a full-blown movie? And then they made it a full-blown movie, and they had to work around the stuff that was in the trailer. And the trailer really stands as being much funnier than, although it's a bad movie, but the trailer is a lot funnier than the full-blown thing. I hate that when that happens in real life. When the movie is already made and they just pick all the good parts out and put it in the trailer and then they're like, look how great this movie's going to be. Except this was a trailer, then they had to make a movie around it versus yes, the other way around. they had to make around. a movie out of the good parts. And this is essentially the same thing happens here. Like, it's funny as a small thing, as a full-blown issue, whatever, it's not. So basically we skipped it because it doesn't have anything to do with the actual storylines that are happening. Feel free to read it. Yeah, I don't know. As, in the long form, I don't find it as funny, like... The joke is, like, how would traditional Hollywood, like, kind of bastardize this story and make it, like, super cliche and lame and add, like, silly romance subplots and blah, blah, blah. The joke wears thin. Yep. You get the idea of it in the couple pages they put in there. It's clever. It's funny. It's exaggerated. And then we move on. And, and it's where it should be. Yeah, compared to the full-length thing, which beats you over the head. Harsh. Sorry, story. Overall, Angel... Last Angel in Hell, uh, pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, and this is the first thing we're covering in IDW that Joss wasn't directly involved in. The way it works is apparently he's supposed to sign off on it, but I guess it'll also just be like his office that signs off, and I'm not quite sure the ins and outs of how that works. But this is going to tie very directly into some stuff that's going to tie very directly into some other stuff that Joss did. So this one... This one counts. Yeah. Official canon. Stamp of approval. That'll do it for this one. We're still going to be in IDW land for a few more episodes. Next week, we'll be back 
to say goodbye to Lauren. Aww. It's going to be a sad one. Get your tissues ready. All of mine. I'll probably cry. Let's be honest. Probably. But we'll be back then. Bye.